Terry is going to come up here with me because we're looking at her life verse today. So do you remember what it is off, off the top of your head? Yes, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's the short version. I told her, you know, you're going to have to share with us because your verse says that you can, you can have the courage to speak up here in the front. <laughs> Got to hear that now. Um, so how has this verse impacted you? Well, um, one thing was when I was um, getting my master's and completing the thesis, I said, I really need God's help. So Philippians 4.13 came to mind, mm -hmm. and he helped me to um, have an acknowledgement page in your thesis that you can give credit to, help, to who helped you. So first of all, Christ, then my parents and instructors, associates. There were so many people that um, God orchestrated to help me with mm -hmm. my goal, mm -hmm. and he did too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and after five long years, I finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us about another time when it was important. Okay. To you. Um, another time is being caregiver to my family. Mm -hmm. And my dad, as you know, passed away last October. But I am now caregiver to my mother and my brother with special needs and my 15 year old Chihuahua. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have to, I ask God, again, I rely on Philippians 4.13 for them to, um, for me to give wisdom in their medical care and their, just wisdom in their everyday life. Mm -hmm. And I really need God's help. Mm -hmm. So you find yourself leaning almost on that verse yes. as your assurance from God. Yes. In these times you will have the strength. Yes. Yeah. What else? Well, another time and not time, but just in my daily walk with Christ, again, Philippians 4.13, mm -hmm. I need him to guide me um, in my finances and, um, you know, my church family mm -hmm. and my family again. And just in the daily decisions that I have to make for myself, mm -hmm. I need God's help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you told me also that there was a time when that pesky Corrine Larson asked you to be a lay leader in yes, worship. Yes. Tell us about how that verse helped you there. Okay. Well, at first, I said, oh, my God. I'm so scared. But, again, Philippians 4.13, and along, I see Mary Russell out there, along with my Toastmasters, had helped me with my... Um, uh, you know, my lay leading experiences. Mm -hmm. And I did ask God to said, please give me the right verses to Bible scriptures and devotions and stories from my life that could touch a person's heart. And it really helped me. And I could just feel him just leading me and guiding me. Mm -hmm. I think what uh, Terry, you're saying is that in all layers of life, yes, that this verse has been something that you held on to. Yes, that's correct. As a promise from God. Yes. Yeah, thank you. And also, um, I don't know what I would do without him. Mm -hmm. I would just be, I'm, I just hate to depend on my own strength 
yeah. to, to meet life's um, you know, demands and challenges. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad that I have him in my life. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, if you were listening, Terry preached the whole sermon right there. Now, I am going to re-preach it with a whole lot more words, but if you feel like you really need to take a nap, I'm not going to blame you because you got the essence. So listen for those points that she made. We had to get a different car after ours was stolen and trashed. And the gadgets on our new vehicle, the driver's seat is programmed to change position depending on whose key is used to start it. And a beep lets us know if there's a car in our blind spot. Um, we've got heat for our seats in the winter, but we've got cool in the summer. Got a little fan on your seat. Mm-hmm. Just the front seats. You've been in the back seat of our car, but just the front seats. Oh, so lovely. And we have a backup camera. My favorite feature. So um, on day two of driving our new car, I told Robert I was already regretting that we had gotten it because I was I got used to those new luxuries like about that that fast and they were starting to feel normal instead of special. What happens if our next car doesn't have them? Moving up in life is so easy. I could get used to that, we say, when we're pampered, but it's much harder to move downward. And I feared that I would become entitled. And I feared that if I ever had to go backwards, then it would be a struggle and a complaining inside of my mind, a comparison. We are in a sermon series entitled, My Life Verse, and today's verse is built into a passage on upward and downward mobility. So look at how it's packaged in that conversation of upward and downward mobility. So we're going to start Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, go all the way to verse 14. Paul is writing a thank you to the church in Philippi for having sent him a gift, by the way. So this is the context of what he is writing. They had sent him a gift. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In all and any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. Now, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He's facing a capital charge, and we know that the Romans believed wholeheartedly in the death penalty so that if he should be found guilty, he would lose his life. Prisons make for bleak living, but Roman prisons were notoriously miserable. It is up to the family and the friends of the incarcerated 
to support the prisoner or else he would not eat or would not have anything to wear. And it's amazing to me that such, from such bleak circumstances, we should have in our, in our hands today writing that uplifts and motivates and enlarges not just the emotions, not just the minds, but the soul. One of the true benefits from attending worship together uh, every week is that we receive each week from the inspired word of God, which encourages our souls. And during the week, our souls might get a little lonely, they might get a bit sluggish, they might get a bit starved, but we've waded through a lot of what life throws at us, but coming together in worship and examining God's word, our souls are nourished. Paul starts this chapter with a word he's used all throughout Philippians, uh, rejoice. He's thanking the Philippians for their financial support, but he begins by saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Greatly, that word is megalos, and we know the English word mega. Paul is mega rejoicing. Now, Paul will tell us the secret of contentment later in this passage, but I also think that the beginning of this verse is one of his secrets, that he rejoices in the Lord greatly. And have you found it true of yourself that as well, that when you turn to God, when you are troubled or you're confused or you're hurt, and then when you turn to the Lord, you are lifted up, that we do have seasons when we struggle to connect and when we're struggling in our prayer life, we're really grappling with God. But in general, just thinking about who God is, just thinking about what he has done in salvation history and what he has done for us in particular, taking that pathway in prayer rearranges our complaints, our priorities, our worries. They look much different in the light of God's presence as opposed to in the lonely, restless midnight hour. So this has happened to Paul to such an extent that he can say, I rejoice. Not in being in prison, not in his circumstances, not even rejoicing, notice, not even rejoicing in the Philippians who gave him the support that made him in his imprisoned life bearable, but rather I rejoice in the Lord. God is not just the giver of my joy. God is the recipient of my joy. I'm giving him back my joy. I'm putting my joy in him. And rejoicing in the Lord is a high form of praise because we're honoring God's faithfulness to us. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And if the world didn't give it, that's right. Rejoicing in the Lord. Now, we might think that at this time in his life, Paul was in maximum need. He couldn't work when he was, he was in prison. He had no income. He had to rely on his brothers and sisters in Christ on the outside. And yet he can say in verse 11, not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. It causes me to think about 
the things that I need, my needs. But for Paul, need wasn't even a category that he spends any time on, that he spends any thought on, that he wastes any energy over because he has learned to be content with whatever he has. And certainly this is learned behavior. It's not intuitive. The first thing we instinctively know when we are babies is that we've got to signal our needs with loud cries to get them fulfilled. We have been focused on our needs since birth. The air around us is saturated with a message that we need and therefore we must fulfill those needs or we will be deprived. We're told we need designer wear or we need a vacation getaway or we need to frequent the latest shop, the latest re re restaurant. I now know that we need backup cameras on our vehicles. <laughs> I didn't know it was a need before I saw one and I got to use one. So what we want moves into, kind of starting slides into the category of what we need. And then when that need is fulfilled, we're like, okay, now what's the next thing that I want, uh, that I need, I mean? And it becomes this uh, circle. Needs we understand in an instant. Contentment, on the other hand, must be learned. Most of Paul's readers were poor, the kind of poor that in our world today, the poor who live on a dollar a day, that kind of poor. Many, many of his readers were slaves, and few of them would have known the security that we have. And by contrast, we who live in comparative wealth and luxury today are frequently the most worried and the most anxious. We suffer from affluenza, <laughs> defined as painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. Are we content as a society, we who have so much? At this point in his life, Paul is in the camp of those who do not have, and yet he learns contentment, has learned it to such an extent that even when the Philippians gave him a gift that made his life so much more bearable, so much better, he was thankful, but he did not need it. Now, many great thinkers have learned a lesson of contentment. Buddhism in tamping down desire, seeks contentment as the greatest wealth. If you put the winning, how much was that big winning lottery pot a little while ago? It was in the bill, it was in a billion? Okay, if you put the winning lottery ticket on a table and next to it you put contentment, Buddhism says don't be fooled by the glitter and glam. Take the wealth of contentment instead. Stoicism, in accepting fate or providence, whatever destiny, whatever you have coming to you, whatever comes to you, Stoicism seeks to be indifferent to the fluctuations of fortune 
and therefore indifferent to pain and pleasure. Either extreme should feel like water off a duck's back. But Paul's lesson is much different. He has experienced little, he has experienced plenty, he has learned the secret of being well-fed or going hungry because, and here comes our verse, in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, this verse is wrapped up in a conversation about the secret of contentment, and Paul has an outside, reliable, faithful source of strength that will empower him when he needs it, no matter what he must face. And that source is Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't have to pull up from inside of himself stoicism or indifference because he has a strengthening from above that will shore him up, a strengthening from Jesus Christ that will get him through the darkness, get him through the tunnel, get him through the trial that he has coming up, get him through no matter what the sentence is, guilty or not guilty, that source of strength will get him through. This, this, this verse on strength reminds me of an exoskeleton. That's a rigid external covering for the body which provides support and protection. And some animals have exoskeletons on the outside, this protection from the outside. Um, some invertebrate animals have them. But now we humans are build, building exoskeletons to help us. Like, I mean, probably the best exoskeleton out there is Iron Man. But that is fiction, sadly. We can't fly with exoskeletons at the moment. But uh, researchers are very interested in developing exoskeletons that can assist people, like for example, who have lost their walking, people who have repetitive tasks, factories are very interested in this, lifting heavy things are very interested in this. I love the idea of, um, of doing chores with an exoskeleton. I imagine myself going, nah, 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 and you know, this, this hand doing whatever needs to be lifted, love it. Paul's secret to contentment is that he can rely for strength on a source of power outside of himself. And that source of power is not dependent on circumstances or any other force. And notice in the context of verse 13 that all things that Paul speaks of includes deprivation. I can go hungry through him who strengthens me. I can face prison through him who strengthens me. I can face this devastating diagnosis through him who strengthens me. I can walk in grief through him who strengthens me. I can live with this disability, this ongoing condition, this circumstance that has turned my life upside down through him who strengthens me. Now I want you to have a visual of uh, of what Paul is getting at. So I need some help. I need some volunteers. Volunteers by the name of Morgan. 
please come up here. Please, Morgan, are you going to come up? Show your sister how it's done. Where's Alex? Is Alex not here? Oh, Alex, if you can hear my voice, I need some help. Come on, come on up here, Alex. Oh, that's lovely. Now, show everybody how you come up. That's good. That's really good, Morgan. Really good. Okay, I need some other, some other helpers up here. Who else? Okay, good. All right. Oh, you need one of these. You're the birthday girl, come on. Come on. Okay, last chance, anybody else? There's a okay. potato involved. How do you not want to be involved? That's right. Okay, now your task is to hold the potato like this. Very important. Because I'm gonna ask you to stab down on the potato and go with the straw all the way through the potato. I don't want your hand under here when you do it. Okay, you ready? Ready? Oh, you got one? Okay, anybody else? Okay, right? All, all, all the way in. All the way in the potato. Okay, ready? Yeah. Okay, go. Okay, how did you do? A little bit? Good. Okay, you all got it? Oh, you got it all the way through? You want well, were you using some extra strength knowledge to do it? Extra what? Yeah. You did it all the way through? See, I can do it about that far, right? But through Christ who strengthens me, Christ gives me extra strength. My demonstration is that if you cover, cover the hole and now do it. Cover the hole and now do it. See how much, how much further you get. All the way much further, right? So that we, it, you know, Christ who strengthens me doesn't mean that Christ is going to allow me to swallow a car or to run uh, a mile in a minute. It doesn't mean that. It means that Christ will give me extra strength that I do not have in fulfilling what he wants for me to do. That's the extra strength that he gives you. If he ever gives you a task like lay leading and Corrine Larson comes up to you, Christ is going to help you through that. And he is there all along to call on when we really need that extra strength. Okay, thank you. You can put the potatoes away. This Did you get it in all the way? No. You know what? She didn't experience any strength. Thank you. I wanted you to have a, a visceral, physical, visual example that you have something to call on when you need that extra strength. And I want the kids to remember that when they need strength to do something, I want them to remember that potato and that straw so that Christ can get them through it a lot further than they can on their own. 
It's no wonder that we use this verse when we're facing challenges because that's when we need God's strength. So the word strength in verse 13 is endunamao. That's the word we get dunamite from. But we call it dynamite because we're English for whatever reason. We get the word dynamite from this word. And I did a search in the New Testament and it's used always in the context of being strong in faith. In Romans 4.2, Abraham is described as holding on to faith in the promise of a child even when he was 100 years old and Sarah was barren. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong, there's that word, he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Acts 9-2, Saul, who became Paul, right after his conversion, he was proclaiming Jesus as a son of God. Saul became increasingly more powerful, that's that word, strengthened, more powerful, more dynamite, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. So when Paul reads, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he has lived through that empowerment himself, and he has actually experienced a power boost when he started following Jesus. Ephesians 6.10, the passage on putting on the armor of God because you are to stand against the devil. Verse 10 says, be strong, that's our word, be empowered, be strengthened in the Lord and in the power, different word, of his might, different word. Three power words in that, in that verse. 2 Timothy 4.17, the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, there's our word, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear of it. In all instances of this word in the New Testament, there's seven of them, it's always used of strengthening in faith. And when you think about it, we need a huge amount of faith to stick with Jesus all the way through our lives. We get it in daily doses, but when you add it all up together, it's a mountain of faith that we need in the marathon of following Jesus. Because there are obstacles, and in particular, I think suffering is very hard to reconcile with a God who is love. And faith requires us to live with a cognitive dissonance. Yes, I see this hardship. I am living in this hardship. And yet I choose to believe that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never comes to an end. This is not all that there is. The love of God is more true than the suffering that I am living through right now. And I will see God's salvation someday. If we're going to hold on to our faith in the ups, and especially in the downs, we are going to need strengthening. Christ's dynamite empowering every step of a faith journey. So I want you to think about some of the obstacles or the fears that you may be facing right now that are requiring you to put your trust in the Lord. Challenges that are hard or some that might be scary or some that are ongoing and there's not an end to them or some challenges that really seem 
impossible. And so I'm going to put our verse up there, and I want you to tell someone else this verse, because we get to encourage each other, and someone else is going to be telling you this verse. We're going to repeat it to each other. Ready? Through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, yeah, I forgot that I wanted to change the I to you. Pretend the I is you. Talk to each other. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. With Jesus, oh, yes, you can. Amen and amen. Why don't you turn to someone else and tell them that part, too? With Jesus. Oh, yes, you can. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. God, you are good to us. Sometimes we see your goodness more when we look backwards than when we look forwards. You are faithful to us. We know this from experiencing your faithfulness in the past. And yet sometimes it's hard to trust you with this thing that is hard in our lives right now. And so, God, I pray that you would strengthen every soul here with the power that you bring to us that isn't inside of us. It's your power we're asking for so that we can do more than we could ever do alone. Give us that reassurance and bring to mind when we need it, the example of doing more with you than we can do alone, that we can do through the strength that you provide. Lord, I know there are some hard situations in this congregation or among the people that we love. There are some real difficult, difficult situations, God. I think about the people in Lebanon. Can't imagine how we would live if that happened to us. Really desperate situations. God, empower your people. Give strength enough for today, and then tomorrow gives strength enough for tomorrow, Lord Jesus. We put ourselves in your hand because we need you. In your name we pray, amen.